Memorial Day, a time to reflect, honor, and remember those who have made the ultimate sacrifice in a time of war to ensure that our God-given rights and liberties are protected and preserved. I would like to share with you one of my personal remembrances of Memorial Day. When I was serving in Vietnam 50 years ago as a young army officer, I was seriously wounded. Our unit's platoon sergeant, Roy Gowdy, saved my life and carried me down the ridge line to the landing zone so a medevac helicopter could carry me away. I never did get the chance to thank him. Roy went back up on the ridge line and 15 minutes after saving me was killed by the same sniper that had shot me. I will never forget him and the ultimate sacrifice he made that day. Those of us who have served or are still serving today, we know we do not serve alone. Along with your plans for a wonderful Monday holiday, please take some time to remember those who have served or those who are serving today, to remember those who made the ultimate sacrifice and the families that they have left behind. Greater love hath no man than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Well, good morning. It's great to be here with you today, whether you're here in the Lake Forest Sanctuary or up in the 01 or at our Crossroads campus or our Highland Park campus. It's great to be here together. And I want to thank Bill Leslie uh, for sharing his story in that video. What a powerful reminder of the significance of this weekend and of tomorrow in particular. Uh, And so just would encourage all of us to be thankful and to honor those who have given their life in active service. And if you have a family member or a friend or loved one who has given their life in active service, just on their behalf, I want to thank you and honor you this weekend as well. What an important thing uh, for all of us. Well, we are moving through this Galatians series called Set Free. And in order to kind of wrap our minds around what we'll talk about today, I want to ask a couple of questions just about your life. Is that, is that okay? Here, here in the sanctuary or whatever service you're in, I want to probe just a little bit and get you thinking about your own life and history. And so I want to ask a question. When was the first time that you started to care about being clean? In your life, do you have a memory of the first time that you started to care about being clean? I have a distinct memory uh, when I was a kid. It wasn't about me, but it just stands out in my mind. I was at a sleepover with a friend of mine, and, you know, we'd been playing all day, and my friend's mom was like, all right, boys, it's time to clean up and, and get in the shower, get ready for bed. But we were waiting for like an hour for my friend's older brother to get out of the shower. We were in elementary school at the time. He was in high school at the time. And I remember my friend's mom fussing and complaining, saying, you know, for years we couldn't get Kyle to take a shower, and now we can't get him out. That's his third shower today. He's occupying the bathroom. Nobody else can get in. He, he hit a moment where he started to care about being clean. I wonder what that might have been for you. Or how about this? When was the first time you felt like you were dressed like a grown-up? And I don't mean like when you were five years old and your mom, you know, if you were a little boy, dressed you up in suspenders and a bow tie. Or when you were, if you were a little girl, you got on your Easter dress and you had a grown-up dress. I mean when you were sort of coming of age and and maybe you noticed for the first time, like, wait a second, I don't have kid clothes on. Maybe I got a new pair of shoes or a new pair of pants or something. For me, uh, the, the, the clearest memory I have is when I got my first job at Publix Supermarket uh, if you live in, in the South at any point, Publix is like the Jewel Osco of the South. And, and it, when I was growing up, like that was a, a very, very typical first job to be a bagger at the grocery store. And I remember wearing the, the Publix uniform, which was sort of a you know, peachy, coral colored, very Florida 
you know, golf shirt. We had our blue apron with a name tag and, of course, khaki pleated pants. And, and so that was like, okay, I got my uniform on. I'm, I'm not wearing kid clothes anymore. I'm dressed like a grown-up. I wonder if you have a memory from your childhood of when you first felt like you were dressed like a grown-up. Now, I asked that question, uh, those two questions, intentionally because being clean and clothed is a part of growing up. It's a part of growing up because being clean and clothed is what makes us presentable physically to the world. And the standard is different for little kids and grown-ups, isn't it? When you're a little kid, you can get away with being dirty and naked, and nobody really cares. So just this week, you know, it's warm outside, which is great. Uh, My kids are outside playing, and we are in the potty training phase with my youngest. Now, I'm going to tell you something that has nothing at all to do with the sermon, but just I feel like I've got somebody to talk to about this. (laughs) There, There needs to be a potty training for people over 40 club. Because we've got other kids that are well-trained. I mean, they go to the bathroom perfectly, no problems at all. And my wife and I have no idea how we did it. Like, like we have no recollection of how. To, it's, it's as if there's a whole bank of files that get deleted when you cross 40 of things that you're not supposed to need anymore. And, and so we're, we're in this phase. But anyway, my, my three-year-old is in this potty training phase and kids are outside playing. And here he comes with uh, a shirt on and nothing else. You know, he's just hanging out there because he had, you know, soiled his pants, and he didn't like that feeling, so he just took them off and kept on playing. And, and my first thought was, oh, that's, you know, that's pretty funny. Didn't really care much about it. But then my second thought is like, oh, I don't want to be that family that, you know, the kid's running around <laughs> naked. Truth is, we are that, that family. We get it. We get it. But I felt better. Just a few minutes later, I walked around to the front yard, and I see our neighbors across the street, their little two-year-old. It's like he's making a break, a breakaway, a fast getaway mid-diaper change, because he's got nothing but a diaper on, nothing else, and he's riding his tricycle down the sidewalk as fast as he can, like he's trying to make a getaway. You know, and we just laugh. We, I mean, it's, it's great, you know, but it, it would be a very different story if my neighbor was, you know, riding down the sidewalk in his BVDs, you know, like that would be, that would be a very different situation because the standard is different, right? Clean and clothed is an expectation as you grow older. And, and I make this point in order to make this point. That in the same way that being clean and clothed is a part of what makes us physically presentable to the world, think about this. Being clean and clothed spiritually, I'm going to suggest, is what makes us presentable to God. Now, many of us came here today clean and clothed physically, but dirty and naked spiritually. And some of us are keenly aware of that. And so we, we try to blend in. We, we hope no one will notice the fact that we're not really very presentable spiritually. We feel that anxiety. Others of us are unaware that that's even a category. But in either case, sometimes we get stuck in a childish faith. However we're thinking about faith, wherever you are in your journey, know that sometimes we get stuck in this place of a childish faith where we're not very well cleaned and we're not very well clothed. And this happens because growing up is hard to do. Just like it's a big deal to go from a parent telling you to get in the shower and get clean to taking ownership of that 
yourself. It's a big deal as we grow older physically. It's a big deal to grow up spiritually. Growing up is hard to do. But I think we get some help in the passage that we're going to look at this morning. Galatians chapter 3 speaks to those of us who find ourselves stuck in a place of childish faith. And it helps us to grow up so that we might have what I'm going to call a grown-up faith. So I'll invite you to turn in your Bible to Genesis, not Genesis, Galatians chapter 3. If you've got a phone or a device and you can go there, you could choose the NIV version. That's what I'm going to be reading here in just a second. The larger section that we're going to look at today is Galatians chapter 3, verse 15, all the way through chapter 4, verse 7. That's a long section. We're not going to read it all. I'll summarize portions of it. But very helpfully, uh, this larger section is summarized in chapter 3, verses 26 through 29. So we're going to focus most of our attention there, and in particular on verse 26, as we'll see in just a moment. So read this along with me, Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 26. It says this, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. There's a message in this larger section of Galatians that's really contained in verse 26. It says, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through Faith. And that one verse is going to serve as our roadmap this morning. Each of those phrases is loaded with meaning. In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. And the first nugget of that I want to highlight is this phrase, you are all. So, so this passage is being written to a group of people who are united by some very clear and important things. And it's a helpful thing for any of us when we come to the Bible, whether we're reading it or hearing it uh, taught or talked about, is to say, you know, who is this passage talking to and where do I fit in to that? Is it speaking to me? So there are some very clear things that show up that unite the audience of this passage that I want to just invite us to think about sort of as a litmus test for ourselves to say, is this speaking to me? So the first thing we see, this audience is being addressed They are all spiritually clean and clothed. To some degree, they have grown up to a place where they've been cleaned, they've been clothed spiritually, and they are, to a degree, presentable to God. And we see this in verse 27. It says, For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. So two very important things have happened for the recipients of this message. First, they've been baptized into Christ. Baptism is a huge idea in the Bible. It refers to the physical baptism of those who come into the family of God. There's also a spiritual meaning to baptism. And and among other things, one of the spiritual meanings of baptism is that it is a washing. It is a cleansing of all of our inward, inner impurities so that we become presentable to God. Listen to what The prophet Ezekiel says in Ezekiel chapter 36 about this cleansing. He says, this is God speaking to his people. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away and you will no longer worship idols. 
I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. Baptism is a washing of the spirit. But there's another thing that has happened for those who are receiving this message, and that is they have been clothed with Christ. Clothing is a big deal in the Bible. Did you know this? In fact, near the very beginning, uh, in Genesis chapter 3, we have the first mention of clothing where God himself clothed the first man and woman, Adam and Eve. For what might have been close to a hundred years, they had lived completely naked and without shame in the Garden of Eden. This was the beginnings, as we're told in the Bible. But when they turned away from God, to go their own way, it says, for the first time, they began to feel shame. And so God, we're told, made garments of skin and clothed their nakedness in order to cover their shame. Clothing covers our shame. In the same way that physical clothing covers our nakedness, spiritual clothing covers our nakedness and shame spiritually. And those who are being written to in this passage have experienced these two very important things to make them spiritually presentable to God. They had been washed clean by the Spirit. They had been clothed in Christ. They had been made spiritually presentable to God. And I wonder if you have had that experience in your life. Have you had an experience of a washing of the Spirit Are you today clothed in Christ? It's the first mark of someone who is a child of God, as we see in this passage. But there's a second thing. Everyone who is receiving this message, these children of God, they are all part of the new family of Jesus. We see it in verse 28. It says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So this message is for those who don't primarily identify by nationality or ethnicity. They don't identify themselves primarily by class or status in society. This audience doesn't primarily identify as male or female. They primarily identify themselves as members of a new family of Jesus. Whatever their family of origin They are now a part of a new family. It's the family of Jesus Christ. Now, family of origin is a big deal. And I use this phrase, new family of Jesus, for a reason because it has such significance for us relative to our family of origin. Pastor and author Peter Scazzaro writes about this uh, in a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And I just want to read some of what he says about this idea of a family of origin. And this is going to show up on the screen. You can read this along with me. His phrase is emotionally healthy spirituality. But I'm going to substitute my phrase and say, grown-up faith is about reality, not denial or illusion. It's about embracing God's choice to birth us into a particular family, in a particular place, at a particular moment in history. That choice granted to us certain opportunities and gifts. It also handed to us a certain amount of what I will call emotional baggage in our journey through life. For some of us, this load was minimal. For others, it turned out to be a heavy one to carry. In fact, some of us are so accustomed to walking with such excess weight that we can't imagine living any other way. 
the great news of Christianity is that your family of origin does not determine your future. God does. What has gone before you is not your destiny. The most significant language in the New Testament for becoming a Christian is adoption into the family of God, and it it is a radical new beginning. When we place our faith in Christ, we are transferred out of darkness into the kingdom of light. God's intention is that we grow up into mature men and women, transformed by the indwelling presence of Christ. We honor our parents, culture, and histories, but obey God. The message of this section is for those who are primarily identified today as being a part of this new family of Jesus. And I wonder if that's you today, how you are primarily identifying yourself. Are you a part of this new family of Jesus? There's a message here for you. And then thirdly, the third thing that unites those who are receiving this message is this. They are all recipients of a promised inheritance. Verse 29 says, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, this sets us up for uh, the meat of what's in this larger section of Galatians 3.15 through 4.7. And I'm going to sort of summarize the backdrop that we find in verse 15 all the way down through verse 25. And it's really the backdrop of the history of Israel framed in terms of an inheritance. And and the, the history goes like this. God made a promise to Abraham, who was the father of the Jewish nation. He made a promise that he would give a great inheritance to one of Abraham's descendants. One of his seed is the language that we find there. And it's one descendant named Jesus Christ. He would be the recipient of the promised inheritance. And then in the course of Israel's history, in fact, 430 years specifically after that promise had been made, but long before Jesus ever came into the picture, God gave what was called the law to Abraham's descendants through a mediator who was Moses, uh, who is arguably the most important prophet and leader of the descendants of Abraham, the Jewish nation throughout the Old Testament. And and the confusion about the promise and the law is that when God gave this law through Moses, did it replace the promise he'd given to Abraham? Or did it qualify people to receive the promise of Abraham? And this passage says no, it didn't have anything to do with replacing the promise or readying people for the promise. It had a specific purpose. The promise was still coming to Jesus, but in the meantime, the law that God had given was almost like rules and regulations for young children. They weren't ready yet to be a part of the promise. And so the law was given almost like a babysitter or a spiritual parent to provide guidelines and boundaries for God's people collectively as they were waiting for the promise to come to Jesus Christ. And while the promise was given only to Jesus, others would be included in that promise, but it would come through faith in Jesus Christ, not through their relationship to the law. And so this passage is written to those who had received this inheritance by faith in Jesus. And what I mean specifically by that is the inheritance that came to him has come to all who know God through Jesus. And this 
message of this passage is for those who had received this inheritance. But there was a problem. They had received it. In fact, they had been clean and clothed. They they had come to a place of spiritual adulthood. They had been inaugurated into this new family of Jesus, thus qualifying them for the inheritance. And in fact, they had received the inheritance that Jesus possessed. But it was like they had deposited it into their account. The inheritance is there and ready to be spent and exercised and invested, but they had no idea how to access it or what to do with it when they did. The inheritance was theirs. They possessed it, but they just, now what? How do I, how do I use it? It's like they had signed up for the sports league and been put on the team, and now they didn't know how to play the game, or they'd been given the keys to the car and they could turn on the ignition, but now didn't have much of an idea how to drive this vehicle. It's like they had come to spiritual adolescence where they had transitioned into early adulthood, but this new inheritance, this new freedom, this new life was something that they really didn't know how to handle. And I wonder if you might relate to that. They had faith. Their faith was real. But it was not mature. It wasn't a grown-up faith. And as much as they had stepped across the line, they said, yes, I believe, I want what Jesus has for me. Deep down, they had this aching wonder of what it really means to have faith. I wonder if you've wrestled with that. What does it really mean to have faith. And this is where I think the message of this passage is so helpful for us. As we look back at verse 26, we see these other phrases that show up. And the first I want to highlight is this children of God phrase because the important thing that we need to see from this passage is that children of God are grown children. Children of God are grown children. It says, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. And the distinction I want to make that I think helps us unlock what it means to have a grown-up faith is this idea that there's a distinction between young children who are still under the supervision of their parents, who still need a babysitter when their parents go out, and someone who has grown to still a child always a child of God, but a grown child. And the marker of that distinction, the rite of passage from young childhood to a grown childhood, is the possession of the inheritance. So I hope you're wondering at this point, I hope you're tracking with me enough to go, what is the promised inheritance? It's been stated over and over in this passage, and the inheritance is nothing less than the Spirit of God himself. It's the Spirit coming to dwell within someone so that they they move from having to be told what to do by an outside law to being transformed from the inside out. Now, as we we move forward um, into chapter 4, the first few verses of chapter 4 really help unpack this. I want to read these. They're not going to show up on the screen, but, but hear this sort of unpacking of what it means to be a grown child and the difference uh, between being a young child. 
Chapter 4, verse 1 says this, What I am saying is that as long as an heir is under age, he is no different from a slave, even though he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were under age, speaking of the nation of Israel collectively, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are His sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are His child, God has made you also an heir. So this is the real meat of this passage. There are a number of distinctions between being a young child who is an heir to a promised inheritance and being a grown child who has received this inheritance. If you know anything about estate planning or a will or, or being a trustee of a will, when someone is underage, they are the heir to the inheritance But when they come of age, or when there's a passing on of that inheritance, now they become the beneficiary of the inheritance. The difference between being an heir and a beneficiary is all the difference in the world. And I think the spiritual analogies are are numerous on this. And we're only going to scratch the surface, as I've been sort of ruminating on this idea, even this morning, more things sort of come to mind as you think about this distinction spiritually between being an heir, waiting on a promise, and being a beneficiary, receiving uh, and utilizing that promised inheritance. And the first thing spiritually I want to suggest is that for many of us, our personal history is almost a recapitulation, a retelling of the nation of Israel's personal history. If you grew up in a faith-believing home, being taught about God, about Jesus Christ, about spiritual things by your parents, it's as if there was a mediator, your parents, or someone else who was a trusted teacher to you. Maybe it was a grandparent, maybe it was a family friend, maybe it was a Sunday school teacher or someone in a local church. They were teaching you all about God so that you would know his ways, that you would know how to behave when you go to church, uh, what sort of language to use or not use, all sorts of boundaries to prepare you one day to make your faith your own. Some of you in this room, in these sanctuaries, in these gathering places are kids learning about God. And one day, the hope, the prayer, is that that faith that you're learning about will become your own. You'll go from the heir who's learning all about the promise that's waiting for you to the beneficiary of the promise. You'll receive the Holy Spirit of God in your own spirit, and you'll begin to be changed from the inside out. Others came to God through seeking as an adult, already a grown physical adult, and there was a period of seeking after answers, seeking after significance, seeking after meaning. And maybe you're here and that's where you are today. You're in that seeking phase. You're curious. You're wondering, but you're not quite there yet. It's almost a similar situation of learning about God, processing so that at some point you might cross that line 
and I hope you will, of receiving the Spirit. And some of you are on the other side of that, and you can look back and tell that story of the season when you were discovering the promised inheritance, and then when you stepped in and received the Holy Spirit of God and began to sense his work both inwardly in your life and around you in your life. Something like the audience of this passage experienced in the first century. that They saw the miracles of God take place in and around them that had no other explanation besides his Spirit's power at work. So however you came to be a child of God, you were either adopted through a process of growing up into it, once an heir, then a beneficiary, or you were adopted right into God's family as a grown child. One of the great sort of corollaries, so this is one of the great truths embedded in this, is that however old we grow, we're always still a child. We're always learning from our Father. We're always growing in what He has for us. We never reach a spot where we're not God's child under His protection under his provision, leaning into his spirit. But it's not a secondhand spirituality when we're learning about God from others. It's a firsthand spirituality where we know God. In fact, that spirit in us cries out, Abba, Father, chapter 4, verse 6 says. It's this intimate relationship. We're no longer relating to God through a mediator, whether that was a parent or someone else. We relate directly to God. But it's not something that we have to do on our own. Another great truth in this is when we grow up in our faith, learning to listen to the Spirit and have that firsthand spirituality, we do it in community with others. But we move from being a rider, being carried along through the effort of others, to being a rower. It's like we're all in this boat together as children of God. Some are rowing getting us somewhere, following after God's leading in the community of faith, in the family of Jesus. Others aren't yet ready to row, and they're just sort of along for the ride, watching it all happen, benefiting from the active grown-up faith of others who are rowing. But there comes a point where we go from being a rider in the boat, benefiting from others' faith, to being a grown-up, taking the oar and beginning to row alongside others in this grown-up faith. So many other layers to this. We move from from a submission to the rules and the boundaries. Sometimes as as little kids, we, we fuss about all the rules and we rebel against mom and dad. And we have this luxury of kind of just complaining about what it's like to be along for this ride. But when we step up into grown up faith, we're no longer in that sort of forced submission from the outside under a law, but we move into a place of willing surrender of making wise choices because we know them to be right, because the Spirit himself is guiding us from the inside, no longer under the tutelage of a spiritual parent or babysitter, but listening to God's voice for ourselves. This, and in so many other ways, we grow in discernment of hearing the Spirit. Jesus told a parable of a seed that was cast. And, and those who received it into a good soil were those who recognized God's word speaking to them and allowed it to grow and take root in their life. Author and theologian Thomas Merton, who has passed away now, but a 20th century great 
talked about this idea of discerning seeds of God's word all around us. Yes, it's, it's primarily in his written word. Yes, it's taught and preached and learned through various means. But those who are learning to live by the Spirit, those who are learning to commune directly with God, will recognize seeds of his word in all kinds of places, in every moment of life. They have an awareness and a growing communion and relationship with God that we're able to hear and respond to him in a growing, more and more mature way as we lean into this grown-up faith. I could say so much more, but I've got to move on. Children of God are grown-up children. And that's what it means to take on a grown-up faith. Last two things I want to just say quickly, and they're the remaining two phrases in verse 26. In Christ you are all children of God through faith. Faith is simply believing what God says. If the idea of being a grown-up child adds nuance and, and almost a complexity to what it means to be a child of God, the idea of faith really boils it down to something very simple. In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. In the context of this passage, is simply believing what God says. And our example is Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation. He was 85 years old. God came to him. He had been childless for all of his adult life. His wife, Sarah, could not bear a child. 85 years old, no child. And God came to him and said, you're going to have a whole bunch of children. And in fact, they're going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sands in the sea. That's a pretty unbelievable promise to an 85-year-old man. And yet, Abraham believed God. Simply believed what he said. Didn't know how God was going to do it. Kind of wrestled with, how's this going to happen? And yet he believed. And that's what God credited to him as righteousness. That's what qualified him to receive the promise. And so in the way that Abraham simply believed what God said, that's the way faith is presented to you and me. Sometimes we just make it too complicated. Or we love to create diversions talking about this nuance or that or this argument or that. Do you simply believe what God says? That is faith. And then the final thing I want to point out the phrase that actually kicks off verse 26, highlighting the fact that Jesus Christ is the way. Jesus Christ is the way. In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. All of this is located in Jesus Christ, who is the recipient of God's promised inheritance, and we receive that spirit. We receive the relationship with God through our relationship with Jesus. And so the way to the inheritance of God is by believing in Jesus and following after him. And that's the path we're all invited into today. You know, sometimes my kids have a hard time believing my promises. We have this ongoing debate in my household about what's a promise and what's not a promise because in their world anything that dad says about anything that we might do one day becomes a promise. So when their expected thing comes along and it didn't happen, they go, "Dad, you promised." And I'll go, "I never promised anything. I said maybe we would do this or that." And so, you know, th- th- there came a time where I actually started to be a little bit less defensive about this because I started to realize Oh, the issue here is whether they're going to take dad for his word. 
And the more we have these situations where it feels to them like dad broke his promise, the more that relationship is going to be in trouble. And whatever actually was the case, whatever was actually spoken and heard, the fact is that we often do break our promises. And that can make it a challenge for us to believe what God says. But God, unlike any of us, never breaks his promises. We can believe what God says. And as we do, as we follow after Jesus, believing what God has said, I believe we can have a grown-up faith. And that's my prayer for each of us today. Let me lead us in prayer. Father God, thank you for the promised inheritance that you have given in your Son, Jesus Christ. You kept your promise. You continue keeping your promises. And I pray that you would draw each of us today to a place of belief. Hearing what you say in your word, through the circumstances of our lives, through trusted friends and loved ones, open our ears that we might hear your voice and grow up. Grow up. Grow up as children of God. We ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen.